welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Would you guys stand with me if you can, and we will read God's Word together. We are in 1 Peter 2. This morning, we're going to be focusing on verses 9 and 10, but I want to read starting at verse 1 just to give us a little bit of context. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but precious, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Well, on the morning of March 15th, 1887, a small town shopkeeper named Albert J. Brown woke up in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And normally there'd be nothing unusual about this story, but... Albert woke up in a panic because he had no idea who he was or how he got there. And in fact, his name wasn't even Albert J. Brown. Albert J. Brown was the name he uh, had given to the residents of Norristown two months earlier when he first showed up in town there to set up shop. Now they were trying to convince him that he was, in fact, Albert. Um, And eventually it would be discovered that Albert was actually an evangelical preacher from the town of Green, Rhode Island, and his real name was Ansel Bourne. Ansel had left two months earlier to visit his sister in uh, Province, Rhode Island, on January 17th, and for some mysterious and unknown reason, he withdrew all his savings, and he went to Pennsylvania instead. His case is one of the earliest and most well-known cases of a very rare um, psychiatric amnesia, in fact, um, known as fugue state, in which a patient completely loses their identity, only to have it return a few weeks later. And as crazy as this story sounds, it's a true story, um, I can identify a little bit with his amnesia, right? Can't you? I, I mean, although none of us have probably had such a strange uh, case of amnesia, um, 
I think we all know a little bit what it's like to, to feel like we're losing our identity or losing our sense of self. So you might not wake up in the morning not knowing exactly who you are, but you might wake up in the morning, some mornings, and think, like, what am I doing with my life, right? Like, how did I get to this point? Um, what kind of person have I become, or what kind of person am I becoming? You know, you might ask yourself, you know, is this all there is? Is this my life? Um, am I really at this point, am I living out the calling and the purpose um, it, it, that I feel I have on my own life. And oftentimes, things like stress or trauma or trials, tragedies, transitions, they can all bring us to a sense of kind of losing our identity, right? Losing who we are, losing a sense of, of, of who we are or what we're supposed to do. You know, and for some of us, I know uh, in this room, we've experienced the loss, uh, the loss of a loved one or maybe... Um, We've gained a lot of loved ones too, right? <laughs> There's been lots of babies um, that, that have been born, and even that um, can make you think like, who am I? What am I doing? For some of us, it's a new stressful job, or it's relational heartbreak. Um, sometimes it's a lost opportunity. Um, for some of us, it's a, a devastating health diagnosis, something that we were not expecting. Um, it could be the feeling of, of just a growing distance in a relationship that you know should be really close. Um, and for some of us, it's just realizing that we're reaching the halfway point of life and wondering, you know, are we really accomplishing anything meaningful? I know for me, that's something that has hit me. It's not a crisis, though. It's not a crisis, right? Um, so the ancient church, these people that Peter were writing to were experiencing all of these things that we are plus more, right? Because they were, they're actually scattered because of persecution in a new land. They're foreigners there. And at this moment, in this passage, Peter wants to remind them who they are. And I love this passage. I was actually a little surprised that Eric would let me have this because uh, I know he loves it too. But Peter wanted to remind uh, these early Christians of their identity, their purpose, and their position as God's people. And so those are the three things that I think this passage has for us this morning. Um, I think this passage um, is God's way of speaking to you, to each one of us here, and reminding us who we are, um, what we were meant to do in life. And, and our position as, as God's people. So we're going to look at those, those three things. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Um, Father, we are thankful um, that you brought us here and that you have uh, uh, words to speak um, to each heart here through your word. Um, help us to see that. Give us eyes um, to see what you have for us in your word, and Lord, change our hearts um, as we see it. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So again, we're going to look at three things. Our identity is God's people, our purpose is God's people, and our position is God's people. So first off, our identity is God's people. Take a look again. We are just focusing in this morning on two verses, two verses, verse 9 and verse 10. So look at the first part of verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's, uh, for his own possession. 
And so as we continue the series, we're going through 1 Peter. We're going slow. I, I know some of you like that. I was talking to Eric, and he was saying, yeah, you know, he's getting all kinds of um, feedback on, on the, the messages and saying that people are loving going this slow and saying things like, man, I never knew that there was so much in such a small amount, you know, in, in one or two verses. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Um, and last week, Marcella preached on verses 4 through 8. And if you remember um, the end, verse 8 right there, it ends on a pretty dark note. Um, verse 8 says uh, uh, that these who do not believe uh, are a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so in verse 9, there's a really important but, right? So there's a really important but. And um, Peter is saying in, in verse 8, he's reminding those uh, persecuted Christians, okay? And this is real persecution. This is Christians being killed, being martyred for their faith. He's reminding them that these people that are persecuting them stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He's reminding these Christians that, these, that this hostile persecution is not outside God's control, that God is still control. And now Peter wants to remind them of their, of their identity as God's people. He says, but you, and in this first half of the verse, Peter uses four descriptors that for these people at this time mean a whole lot more than they might to us reading it 2,000 years later. So I want to unpack these four things. He says that they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. And at first when you read that, you might think, well, that is nice, isn't it? Like, that is so sweet that he can call them all of those nice names to make them feel nice. And it is good. It is sweet. But it's so much more than that. All of these terms go back to the Old Testament. And these people who would have known the Old Testament probably better than we do, um, they, uh, they would have known exactly what he was talking about, right? So the first one, a chosen race. Um, uh, Peter here is reminding God's people that they are chosen, and he's been doing this. I don't know if you've caught this, if, if you've noticed this, but he's been doing since, this since the beginning of the letter. Way back in verse 1, the very first verse that we uh, looked at in 1 Peter talks about them being elect exiles. That God has chosen for himself a people to be, to be his people. And this, this term goes way back beyond 1 Peter, though. It actually goes back... Um, to Isaiah and lots of different places in, in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Isaiah 43. You don't have to turn there, but you might want to jot it down. It's Isaiah 43, verses 20 and 21. Uh, God is speaking through the prophet to his people, and he says, um, The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Doesn't that sound a lot like what, he's, what Peter's telling these people here? He's telling these Christians at this time that they're part of a spiritual heritage that reaches back centuries. And he's actually telling us this morning the same exact thing. And I think that's helpful, right, for those times that we do feel lost. It's helpful to feel connected, it's helpful to feel connected to a spiritual heritage that reaches back for thousands of years among hundreds or thousands of languages, among hundreds in, uh, of people groups and dozens of races, um, that we are part of a, 
uh, a, a chosen race of people, right, that does go beyond our, our um, ethnic identity, our racial identity. And just a side note here, you know, when, when you come to church, when you come uh, and, and you're practicing biblical Christianity, you don't lose your racial identity. Um, they don't, we don't, the, the Bible doesn't try to erase our racial identity, but it does give us this spiritual um, uh, identity as, as a chosen race, as God's people. And so um, we, we celebrate those differences. And so Peter calls them not only a chosen race, but he also calls them a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And you might think again, oh, that's nice. That sounds really nice. Peter's not making this up. He's getting it from the Old Testament, from something that these people would have known quite well. Um, this goes way back to Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, um, verse 2, he says, um, and, the, and the, this is, uh, this is you know, the story of the Exodus, the story of God's people um, uh, leaving, leaving captivity, wandering for a long time uh, in the desert. And uh, this is where, uh, Exodus 19 is where they're at Mount Sinai, and they're about to, get to receive the law. Uh, and it, it says there, they set out from Rephidim, and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While uh, Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. And here it is. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Isn't that cool? That's where Peter is drawing this, this really rich language from. That God's plan all along was not to have a priest stand in front of his people, but to have um, his people have that same access that a priest would. And this is really important, guys. This is super important. Christianity is unique among the religious faith, faiths because there is no priestly hierarchy. There's nobody that has more access to God than you do. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I, want, I want you to remember this because, just on a practical note, the, the reality is we would love for you to stay forever here at Covenant Grace, but you may not always be here. You may be drawn out. You may be taken to other places um, for, for different reasons. And I would encourage you, don't go to a church where leaders act like priests that stand between you and God's will or God's blessing or God's present in your life, presence in your life. You know, and sometimes people can get weird about authority, right? And they think that somehow they can tell you how to, how to live your life or what God's will is for your life. And please, um, don't, let, don't let people stand in, in between um, you, you and God. This is a big deal for the reformer, Martin Luther, during a time when priests were really abusing their power. And Luther himself wrote this. This is really good. He says, Let everyone, therefore, who knows themselves to be a Christian, be assured of this, that we are all equally priests, 
That is to say, we have the same power in respect to the word and to the sacraments. Right? So if somebody's telling you about your life, like, hey, I think God is leading you to do this, and it's nowhere in here, then, um, you know, you, you might, the only thing you might owe them is a, a smile and a nod, you know? Okay, moving on. Um, as a Christian, your identity is a priest to God, offering spiritual sacrifice of praise. Amen? One, uh, one commentator says, just as believers are a new spiritual race and a, new, and a spiritual priesthood, so they are a new spiritual nation, which is based neither on ethnic identity nor geographical boundaries, but rather on allegiance to their heavenly king, Jesus Christ, who is truly king of kings and lord of lords. So good. All right, so finally, uh, Peter calls us uh, the fourth descriptor that he uses um, for those people at the time and for us now, too, as Christians. He says, um, we are a people for his own possession. And that goes back to both of those passages that we looked at, both Isaiah 43, 21. It says, the people whom I formed for myself. And Exodus 19, 5, where it says, you shall be my treasured possession. So we are a people for God's own possession. We are a people that he has made um, for his own possession. So you're not lost. You have not been forgotten. The stress, the trauma, the tragedy, the just, just the distractions of life may have caused you to temporarily forget who you are, just like uh, they did for our, for our amnesia patient. Um, but this is who you are. And this is Peter's point here, is to remind us who we are. And some of you maybe here this morning just to hear that, just to hear who you are in Christ, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that's our identity as God's people. Next, Peter tells, talks about our purpose. What's our purpose as God's people? What's our purpose as God's people? So look at, um, look at verse 9. Look back at verse 9. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I think some of us came here this morning and you know exactly who you are. Some of us know exactly who we are. Um, but sometimes we can feel like we're not living up to our purpose or we're not finding our purpose. I think, you know, especially for young people, it's hard to think like, what am I put on this planet exactly for? What's my purpose here? And then, you know, I get to kind of middle age, like, you know, where I'm at right now, and I think, well, is this it? You know, like, is this, is this, is this all I have? Is this all I have to give? Am I really living into my purpose? You know, and I, I would imagine when I get a little bit older, I think, I'll think, you know, did I do everything that I could have done? Did I, did every, did I do everything that I've I, that I feel I've been put here on this earth for. It's easy to lose or forget our purpose. Um, but here, Peter gives us a, a laser focus into what our purpose is. And he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been saved for a purpose. We've been made, God, uh, we've been made God's people for a purpose, Right? And oh, by the way, this is really important too, and you might want to circle this in your Bibles, that you right there is plural. So this is, this is a team purpose. This is you and I and us together. We have a purpose that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Um, the most famous of the, the Westminster Catechism questions uh, puts it this way. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end, this is the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? That's our purpose right there, that we may proclaim his excellencies. And these two words here um, in the Greek, it's uh, exangelate and arites, that, that means to proclaim or publish, put it out there and celebrate. It's almost like you're, you're authoring a book of your life and what God's done, and you're celebrating it. You're saying, hey, look at this. Excellencies carries the, the, um, the, the meaning of uh, proclaim his wonderful deeds or his praises. So we're putting out everything that God has done. And really, this is the point. This is the point, right? This is the whole focus. Um, there is, there, there's this book that I remember reading um, in, when, when I was in college. Um, and it was, it, it was really life-changing. It's a classic uh, John Piper book. A lot of you have read it, but it's called Let the Nations Be Glad. And I remember reading this about 15 years ago in college and really being blown away. Um, and so I want to read this, this little section from it. It's just a, a short passage. He says in it, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. So you think, oh, where's he going with this, right? We just sent a missionary out. <sighs> okay, tell us, Piper, if missions isn't the ultimate goal of the church, what is? He says worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. The goal of missions is the gladness of the, of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Yeah, amen, right? And you might say, you know, but that's not me. Like, I'm not a missionary. <laughs> I'm here. Um, we support missionaries. We actually sent our first missionary out this summer. Um, but that's not me. You know, I have trouble even telling my neighbor about what God has done in my life or how Jesus has changed my life. And remember, this is a group project, right? This isn't just to you individually. This is to us collectively. So how can we as a church work together to proclaim these excellencies? So first off, I just want to say we already are. You know? And I don't know if you realize that the part, the role that so many of you play, because we have so many people serving in this church, is going to accomplish um, this purpose of proclaiming his excellencies. There's so many of us playing a part. There is, if you look like even at this, this paper, if you got one of these, there is a small group just about every night of the week where um, today, uh, today, this afternoon, Kenny will be meeting in his home um, with a small group and uh, going through uh, James. Exactly. I haven't been. You can tell. Um, he'll be going through James. Tonight there is a young marrieds group, um, and they are going through, uh, you guys know, you guys know better than I do, uh, Mingling of Souls. They're going through a book. They're going through a book study. They're, they're gathering to encourage one another. Uh, they're gathering to, to talk about what God's doing in their marriage. Um, Wednesday night there's a youth group. There's another study at Chad and Melissa's house. Thursday night there's a women's group. They're going through Romans. 
Saturday morning, there's a men's discipleship group. There are just so many ways um, that we are digging into God's word and also letting others know about how, what, what the work that he's doing in our lives. Um, even on Sunday mornings, if you can't make it to those things during the week, if, if you're here on Sunday mornings, a lot of you stay afterwards and you talk and you get involved in one another's lives and you pray for one another and we pray for um, things like healing and we've, I mean, not, uh, act, I act surprised, but I shouldn't be surprised, but we see people healed on Sunday mornings. Um, there have been 17 people baptized just this year uh, in, in our church. Um, this year we um, installed deacons. Um, just since January, January we kind of got our training wheels off and we established this thing as, as uh, its, own, um, its own church, its own, uh, you know, we're still connected, but we, we've, uh, we've moved from the plant stage. I guess we're growing. I don't know what stage after, comes after planting, whatever it is. We've welcomed Kenny um, as a new pastor. Uh, we sent out Lorianne. Um, and she is uh, our, our missionary in the Middle East right now. We're supporting Holly's ministry in Cambodia. Um, there have been physical needs of countless families in our area that have been taken care of. Um, uh, needy and homeless um, have, have been taken care of, too, in, in various ways. There's been relationships restored, marriages strengthened, prayers answered. God is doing so many things here through you. And you are proclaiming those things. People know about them, right? Um, but we can do more, right? We can do more. And um, there are things that we can do. Uh, there's there's a, a, a book that's influenced us um, for, for many years um, that talks about, it's a, a book called Total Church, and, and in it, um, the author, uh, Tim Chester, he talks about uh, what he calls three-strand evangelism. So if you imagine... Um, like a, a, a strand, I, I wish I had a cord, like a cord with three different strands that are all twisted and tied around each other um, that end up being a really strong way uh, to invite people in and to allow them to hear the gospel. And think about where you might fit into to, to some of these. Um, so the first strand of this style of evangelism would be uh, building intentional relationships. So maybe actually saying hello or, or learning names and I'm, again, I'm talking to myself because I'm, I'm terrible naturally at learning names and remembering faces. But, um, you know, just meeting new people with the idea, you know what, I'm probably going to end up inviting this person to church, or I'm probably going to end up sharing the gospel with this person. So building intentional relationships. And you might think, like, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't even know how to talk to people. I don't like talking to people. Um, there's, there's a helpful way to do that. Um, and uh, we, we had a, a, a pastor many, many years ago that uh, would, would talk about the Philippians 2 principle. And Philippians 2 just says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, not, uh, uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So this is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And so when you meet somebody, you say things like, Hey, how are you? Um, what, you know, what do you do? You know, beyond those things. Uh, and then, you know, you get into their, their lives a little bit. You can ask more questions to them about themselves than they may ask you about yourself. It's a great way of turning the tables and not having to talk about yourself, though, too, right? Um, so you're, you're building these intentional relationships. You're getting to know people. And then another strand, and these are not in any 
particular order, right? So this isn't like, oh, that person's been uh, uh, connected, now let's move on to the second step. This happens in uh, different ways. Um, but you can then uh, invite people into community, into, you know, one of, into the life of the church, into the community of the church. Or you can invite them over for dinner with maybe some other people that you are, are already connected with here, here at the church. You can invite them in to gospel community. And then um, it's about sharing the message of the gospel. And this doesn't necessarily mean you have to share the whole gospel, but share what you know about the gospel. And then invite them to talk with people who know more about the gospel than, than you do. And so it's important to, that, that piece is important too, though, because if they just see how um, nice of a person you are, they're not necessarily going to hear the gospel message based on that. So to put it another way, you could, you could also see yourself as uh, maybe a gatherer or a grower here um, at church, or maybe both. Maybe you're both. There are people out there that are gi definitely gifted in both. Um, but you might be gifted in ways that allow you to easily make relationships and bring people into your life and in, into the life of the church. Or you may be more gifted as a grower. You may be more gifted in ways um, that, you are, that, that you can teach people about who God is and teach them how to move along in their, uh, in their uh, discipleship pathway. Um, so one pastor put it this way. He said that new believers have the connections and credibility with non-believers, but may not have the power to articulate. On the other hand, mature believers have the power to articulate, but maybe not the place in the world to speak to non-believers. And so together we can work together. Um, and I just want to bring all these things up to, to give you a vision for how you might fit in um, living out our purpose as God's people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so finally, I want to take a look at our position as God's people. So our position as God's people. So take a look back at um, 1 Peter uh, Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. Peter says, uh, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And again, this means so much more than we can know just from reading this verse. There's so much more here. Um, and just on a side note, uh, I... I, I, don't, I don't do this for a living. I've never been to Bible school or seminary or, or anything like that. So I apologize. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, but you might think, like, ah, I don't really know how to, like, I would have never seen this. You know, I, I may have read this verse, and I may have never been able to pull these things out, okay? And so um, what I would say to you is, is if, you would, if you have that desire you don't have to look very far. Most of your Bibles, if you have like a traditional, you know, good old American, no, um, no, just like a good old, just about any translation, you're going to have in, in any translation, even if it's not a study Bible, you're going to have all of these uh, cross-references kind of right down the middle in the margin of your Bible or on the side. And if you look at verse 10, like, you look at verse 10 right here. It says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. 
and then you, you think like, oh, that's really cool. I want to maybe dig in a little bit more to that. If you go to the side, like your Bible probably says something about Hosea, like H-O-S in there. Um, mine says Hosea 1.6, 1.9, 10, 2.23, Romans 9.25 and 26, and Romans 10.19. It gives us all these cross-references, and that actually is how, you know, like I, I figured out, okay, here Peter's, Peter's actually talking to these people about something that they already know about in Hosea. And if, you're, you know, if you really want to get into it, too, we're going to be in 1 Peter for a long time. Um, if, you, if you want to get crazy, and like they, they make books that are commentaries, you don't have to know other languages or Greek or anything like that. Um, you can buy these commentaries. They sell these on Amazon. They sell them to normal people. You don't have to have like a, a, um, you know, like a pastor card or anything like that. And, and you could dig in yourself. Um, and this, this book was so helpful. This one was super helpful. And it's got a really cool, this is um, a, a commentary by, by Wayne Grudem, but there's lots of them out there. I think we're actually going to have some of these um, back in the library too for, for those of you that want to dig in. But I want to show you this um, in uh, 1 Peter 2.10 here, uh, just how amazing this verse is. Because you read it and you're like, yeah, you know, once they weren't God's people, now they are God's people. Once they didn't receive mercy, now they have received mercy. Um, but it is really, really good. So what's the book of Hosea all about, and why is it cross-referenced here? Okay, if you've read Hosea, um, you know it is a it's, a, it's an awful story. It's an awful book. I mean, terrible. It's scandalous. It just is not, it's, you read it and you think this is not right. Like, in any sense of the, you know, in, in any sense of the word, this is not right. So what's Hosea about? Well, Hosea was a prophet, and there, were, there had been years and years and years of God's people uh, turning away from God. And so, in the opening verse of, of Hosea, in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, um, God decides to turn Hosea's life into a living parable of what God's people were doing to God. And he tells Hosea, he says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land, for the, land the people of God, that is, commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And then they have a son, Hosea, and his wife, who is a, a, a prostitute. And then in verse 6, Hosea 1, 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. This is, his, this is his daughter, Hosea's daughter. is named No Mercy now. For I, will have, uh, so, uh, for I will no more have mercy on the house of the Lord to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So this is... 
these are the words that Peter is bringing in mind. To remember to comfort these Christians uh, in 1 Peter 2. Uh, and the life of Hosea plays out this picture of rebellion of God's people. In the end, it, it does work out. Okay, in the end, God restores his people and Hosea's family back to himself, saying in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 21, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall, shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And so here in this story, God uses what are probably two of the toughest tragedies that anyone could live out, right? Um, the, the betrayal of a spouse and the, uh, the abandonment of a child, saying you are not my child, to show us exactly what our sin's like, right? What our rebellion to God is like. What chasing our own identity apart from God, what searching for our own purpose looks like apart from God, and loving all kinds of other things. But in the end, he has showed us mercy and has called us his people. And he said, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so um, this is what the communion table is all about. And that's what we're about to go to. So none of us deserve to go to that table. You guys know that? None of us deserve that. Um, it, it represents the love that God has for us in sending his son to die for us. And uh, the band's going to come up and, and lead us in a couple of songs. And as they do that, you can make your way to that table. Um, and you can take the juice and the, and the gluten-free bread. And um, we can remember that though we often become lost, completely lost in life, and lose our sense of purpose and identity and position, um, that we can find it only in Christ, right? And in fact, there is um, the, proclaiming his excellencies. It reminds me of what Paul said, right? That as we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death. And that's a way that we can proclaim his excellencies as we take communion, as we take that bread and as we take that cup. And as we're doing that, I, I, I want you guys to think of and meditate on what Paul said in Romans 5, 6 through 8, where he said, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us that uh, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful this morning uh, just for you reminding us who we are and for reminding us um, to find our, our identity in you and to find our purpose in life and um, the people that you have called us to be. Pray that you would help us um, to proclaim your excellencies uh, as a church, Lord. I pray that we would become um, more connected and so that we can do that 
uh, even more so. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.